Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, brought to you by Sharebird. I'm your host, Meredith Davis, and today we're going to get a behind-the-scenes look at Quizlet and the recent launch of their product, Explanations. We'll also be doing a deep dive on all things market research and the insights that went into influencing product teams ahead of the Explanations product launch. The EdTech market is expanding rapidly, estimated to grow $70 billion over the next five years, and Quizlet is one of the top leaders in the space, driving us into the future of education apps. Quizlet's mission is all about shaping the future of learning and is the most popular study tool in the U.S. with a growing international presence. Well known for digital flashcards, Quizlet has evolved to become a study platform with a myriad of activities and resources designed to help high school and college students practice and master whatever they are learning. Today, I'm here with Caroline Walthall, Director of Product Marketing at Quizlet, who is going to give us a behind-the-scenes look at the launch of their recent product explanations, as well as a deep dive into the role Marketing Insights plays in launching products at Quizlet. Caroline has been in the EdTech space for over seven years now, previously leading product marketing at Udemy, which is why I couldn't be more excited to have her with us today. Caroline, it is so, so great to have you on the show. Thanks, Meredith. It's awesome to be here. Really appreciate it. So when I was in high school and even college, the only online study tools were, I believe, like Curb Notes, Spark Notes. How has the industry changed? I mean, you've been in the industry for over seven years now. How have you experienced the change in the last, you know, seven to 10 years? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of different phases. And what's interesting about Quizlet is it was founded quite a while ago and really took what is something pretty core to many students, at least in the US, which is flashcards, and just made it digital to begin with. And then over time, Quizlet's layered on more and more value when it comes to being able to practice and challenge yourself with different question types and, and things like that, being able to layer in machine learning at this point, being able to kind of have this smarter study progression that helps you get better results with less extensive effort and trying to help use learning science to power the way that tooling works. So I think it's really kind of evolved from take the thing that was offline, make it online, and kind of start to add more value as you work through, you know, what else can you do with that type of data? And how can you extend that into different types of user experiences that become more dynamic and that challenge users in new ways, students in new ways like that? And I think from my experience at Udemy, it's interesting because initially it was more kind of like edutainment based in the sense of sit back, watch a course. And definitely during the course of my time there, we leaned a lot more into the same thing, which is just more interactivity, more ways to show and practice what you're actually learning because that applied learning loop is really what helps people make progress in the end. Not so much just the content by itself or sitting back and, and hoping it's the equivalent of putting your notes under the pillow and going to sleep at night. And I think we've learned a lot about what we can make happen with all that interactivity and learning science in the mix. Right. I mean, I remember growing up and having massive decks of flashcards, all different colors, color coded, and I would have to write things over and over again for them to click. 
And I think that process in itself really helped. And so I imagine, you know, in the comparison that you just made is that at Quizlet, your team has begun to learn the power of interactivity versus just consumption. And yeah, would love to hear, you know, your experience growing up studying and prepping and how that has led to this career in ed tech today. Yeah, no, similar experience for me. I think every student has their own journey with it. I think whether it was back when or now, students have lots of different ways of trying to process information and then make sense of it, organize it, and then sort of practice and get reps on it. And for me, I definitely was one, I sometimes used index cards, but I definitely was one to put everything on one sheet of paper or multiple sheets of paper, get like a density of information and be able to kind of have it all in one place kind of gave me some level of no knowing what I needed to focus on. And so I think that that's just such a key insight that's come up again and again in our research at Quizlet, knowing that students do need to figure out how to focus their attention on what matters. And that process of culling down information to focus on key areas is part of the work in and of itself to learn, but it also is something that we can help with by knowing a little bit more about what other students in your class might be studying and might be able to help you really focus on the terms or the key concepts that people People are more apt to miss. So yeah, I think it's just been exciting to see how some of that translates online. But that said, it doesn't really replace everything. Like some of that organic process is never going to be replaced. And we're not necessarily even trying to. So, you know, I think there's a beautiful balance there. Yep, absolutely. And so I know that market research is really important to Quizlet and especially the product marketing team that you lead over there. What market research activities do PMMs do at Quizlet and why? Yeah, for sure. Well, there's actually a lot of categories of research we tend to take on. I mean, one is exploratory research, where we're kind of looking to understand the context and influencing factors for success in an area that might be looking at new product categories or expanding to new markets or new market segments. And that tends to be kind of more primary research and less directed by a really specific question. And then there's what I might call like path forward research, which is all about answering a specific question about specific markets or products. And so that might include things like feature value research or willingness to pay research. Often we're looking at cuts of our user base to really understand the differences between different types of students and whether a certain opportunity area is big enough market opportunity size. There's validation research where we're kind of looking to confirm, refute, or alter a hypothesis. And so that could be like an in-product survey in a really simple sense, or it could be a false door test in a more evolved fashion and sort of testing out what a landing page for a new product might look like, even if we don't have it ready yet. But then there's measurement surveys like competition, deep customer research, pricing and packaging research, message testing, and customer experience research. So I think there's, there's so much. A lot of, there's a lot of categories and it's sort of never done. <laughs> Right. And I think for many product marketers, it's not always easy and cut and dry to understand where to start, especially if you don't have too much budget for research or bandwidth or support or XFN. How do you like digest this? And maybe in particular for the launch of explanations, where did you begin in the research journey? Yeah. I mean, I think that it always helps if you don't have a ton of budget to start with your own customers. And because you'll see that at least your happy customers are usually 
happy to engage with you potentially for free or for a small incentive. And so I think it's always good to make sure you have that view of what's working for the people it's working for. But I think surveys also can be relatively inexpensive. You don't need a super expensive tool to make it work. SurveyMonkey is relatively affordable for most companies. And, you know, it sort of depends on the level of bells and whistles you want to add to things. But there's definitely ways to get a good amount of information at a lower cost. But I think part of that also comes down to good scoping of your research objectives so that you're asking really good questions that are 100% helping you move forward and provide those next recommendations. Yep, absolutely. And so what role did market trends or market research play in particular as you were gearing up to influence the product roadmap and work towards the launch of explanations? Yeah, well, I think there were several things with regard to trends. At the time, COVID, of course, was having an impact on education. And really, for the last two years, it's changed the game in a lot of different ways. And that's showed up in different ways in March 2020 versus later down the road when teachers kind of had figured out what they were moving towards when it came to their online and remote learning solutions. So definitely just understanding the impact of COVID on education as a whole in terms of the number of tests and quizzes and homework assigned, because that use case is really core to driving Quizlet. And especially as we launched explanations, understanding how much homework is being assigned was really important there. Um, And is it less or more than before? But we also were able to see competitor trends and see that one of our biggest competitors was doing exceptionally well. And we knew that a lot of that was coming from the fact that users had less support systems. Students had less access to their teachers when it came to working something out that they didn't understand. And so we had actually set out to acquire Slater prior to the pandemic, and it ended up being timely as as luck would have it. And so we were able to kind of enter that space at a time when students almost needed it most. And especially because some of our competitors were more expensive, we were excited to kind of enter the market with a more affordable option. I think that there's a big question for many of us, which is that, you know, what is the impact on COVID and the pandemic on education? What short-term impacts versus long-term impacts do you see in the market? Yeah, I mean, some of the things that we've seen, I mean, to be honest, we're still working out the hypothesis, you know, like everyone else. And education is so interesting because it's so decentralized. So it really shows up differently all over the place. And certain types of teachers kind of responded really well to the pandemic and to online tools. And other groups of teachers that were kind of more technology averse, maybe did not adapt as well. And some of those things will be more lasting changes and others were more temporary. But I think one of the things that I've definitely seen is a move towards teachers asking more questions and having tests that are about proving that you understand the concepts as opposed to being able to regurgitate information or purely memorize. And so some of that was probably in place before the pandemic, but because all students have the internet sort of at their fingertips and they were at home taking more open note exams and things like that, I think that shifted the way some professors were thinking about assessment and evaluation which is kind of long overdue. So I think it actually is quite a welcome change, but it does impact in some ways the way Quizlet thinks about the different tools we can provide students to help meet those challenges. So before even the launch of explanations, kind of like walk us through the main tools that Quizlet has today. 
Yeah, sure. So Quizlet's best known for its flashcard product, and that's fairly simply digital flashcards where you can have a term and a definition, one side and the other, and you can also add imagery, you can add sound, diagrams, things like that to help make that a more rich learning experience. And then you can study that same content in many different ways. So you can study it as a multiple choice question, as a film blank question. There's written questions, which really test your recall and ability to come up with the answer yourself as opposed to getting a prompt. We also have some study games like a match game and Quizlet Live, which is more well-known among younger users because teachers tend to play it in classes. So that's sort of the general suite. And so the different activities I described are our study modes. We've got a learn mode, test mode, match, and Quizlet Live, as I mentioned, and then flashcards. So that's sort of the main set of products that we operated on. And students came to Quizlet often to our set pages where they would get a flashcard set. They could look at user-generated content, whether it was created by a teacher or another student, and decide if they want to study that. Interesting. And so it actually seems like there's a couple of key customers that Quizlet targets. You have your students, you have your teachers, and I'm assuming there's also kind of like the businesses or the school organizations. Is that right to say, or do you mainly focus on kind of like marketing towards teachers and professors? Yeah, we mainly focus on marketing to students. So yeah, we consider ourselves a consumer education app and teachers are an important audience for us as well. And our interests are aligned with, with teacher interests. We were looking to help support student learning, help promote sort of self-driven study, which many teachers are looking to help teach and instill as a skill in their students. So we don't really sell to schools directly. We work more with individual teachers and our primary target truly is students at the end of the day. And what, if any, customer segment was done ahead of time before this launch to identify the specific consumer audiences that you were going after? Yeah, well, so we definitely looked at our own user base and at students in the market to understand the usage of textbook solutions, competitor brands, as well as across subjects that students specialize in. So we looked both at what subjects are students majoring in and what subjects are students taking as classes, because oftentimes, especially since Explanations is a product that gears a little bit more towards STEM subjects because it provides step-by-step solutions, we found that you may think that chemistry majors would be a top target for explanations, but it's more often the English major who has to take chemistry as a prerequisite. Oh, interesting. Uh, that needs that support, right? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And so walk me back or take me back to the beginning stages of the launch. So explanations launched last summer, I believe, correct? That's right. Yep. And what did the planning process look like for this? Yeah. So we had been planning this launch for a number of months and we knew a lot about what messaging we needed to include to just be core and table stakes with regard to textbook solutions and explaining what was on offer. But we also wanted to make sure we were clear about what we thought was different about us. And there were some interesting trends we saw in the market with one of our key competitors. They were kind of getting in a bit of media trouble, I'd say, 
around academic integrity issues. And they were also just perceived to be pretty expensive and not super fair in that sense. And so we wanted to very much avoid taking that pathway. And Quizlet also just been very much about student learning and using learning science to support the tools we're building from the outset. And so what we did is we built a little bit more focus on the step-by-step nature of our solutions on making sure that the concepts were clearly described, you know, the quality focus that we put into the way our experts write solutions is something we really wanted to stand by, both as a contrast or a way to differentiate from our free user-generated content, but also to differentiate a bit from our competitors and show that we really were able to provide that trusted solution at a lower cost. Yeah, I actually had noticed that, that the messaging for explanations really does focus around trust and interesting to hear that it is a concern in the market in general and being able to trust education apps. Curious, any other thoughts or any like research or insights that help drive the narrative behind explanations? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting is students actually trust Quizlet quite a bit, which is interesting, especially since we are user-generated content. But I think students generally have a good idea about how to look out for what content is going to fit the bill for them. And I think because Quizlet has offered so much content for free for so long, we've almost built that trust on that alone. But I think we just wanted to highlight that even more so because Explanations is generally a paid product on Quizlet. We have some free explanations available for high school students, but for the most part, our explanations product is part of our subscription, Quizlet Plus. And so we just wanted to be able to really highlight that expert verified double check aspect of our solutions so that students really felt secure knowing that they could subscribe and really trust that information as opposed to having to cross-reference or which is something that students do all the time, have multiple tabs open and look on many sites. I mean, that's something that I do all the time. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Me too. (laughs) And what was the rollout approach for a product like this? I'm assuming there's this level of like dog fooding, alpha, beta, MVP. And like, what did that rollout approach look like for this? Yeah, you got it pretty much exactly right. We did pretty much all of the above. We did have a dog fooding phase. The benefit we had in part as well is since we acquired Slater, the company that had this body of textbook solutions, and then they also had the expertise and kind of continuing to grow and scale the solution set that we had, we were able to get a dog fooding ready prototype well in advance of the launch. And then we had a beta group that followed that. And then a, a V1 MVP that sort of started to open up a little bit more broadly after that, before we fully redirected the links from Slater. So we had a decent amount of time to gather feedback, make sure that the usability standards that we wanted to meet were there, but also that we saw the re-engagement with the product experience so that we it was delivering value. Especially in the dog fooding alpha beta stages, where do you see product marketing having the greatest impact through that process before launching an MVP? Yeah, I mean, I think it's actually one of the best times to just be a very big listener and sort of soak it all in and try to get on as many different calls with customers in those betas as possible to hear the language that they're using to talk about their experience, because that's usually around the phase when you're finalizing your messaging and getting ready to kind of seal the deal on all the go-to-market plans. So I think when there's space and time for it, it can be such a gift to have that ability to 
have a sounding board and have that built-in feedback that's in a more real context. I think when you don't have that, you have to kind of fake it in other ways and do other forms of user research to get feedback on your messaging. But it's so much more powerful when users can reflect what they're seeing to you. Yeah. And so when it does come to launching MVP and even the more final product state, what channels does Quizlet tend to activate for launches like this? Sure. So it's a whole range. Uh, this was definitely one we wanted to make a big splash on, and it was kind of our tentpole launch for back to school, which in EdTech is, is the Super Bowl. And so, yeah, we definitely, in product is one of the best places where we can have different services and different placements to promote a new offering. So we had a lot of different tests. Some were using placements we had tried in the past. Some were new placements that we were introducing to just build that awareness and make sure that everyone coming to Quizlet was starting to become aware of this thing called explanations and getting curious enough about it. And, you know, we know at the beginning of the school year, it's one of the biggest moments when students are willing to consider new tools and change their approach. And so we just wanted to make sure we had that broad awareness everywhere in the product that we could. And, you know, we have 60 million monthly active users. So that's why in product is, although it can be expensive sometimes from an internal resourcing perspective, it is just one of the best ways to make sure you're capturing people who are of high enough intent and being able to get that message out. But then beyond that, of course, we have lots of life cycle channels, search ads, Facebook and Instagram ads, organic social, um, and a number of landing pages as well about explanations, looking at subject specific explanations and things like that. But we also benefited from a rebrand that we did around the same time. And so we were able to get a lot of really great creative that subtly incorporated explanations into it and kind of got to the nature that Quizlet was expanding to better serve certain subjects that we may not have served as well in the past, for example, like math and things like that. It's interesting to hear about the rebrand during the same time. It's something that I'm working through now in my current role is what is a product marketer's role in a rebrand and how to partner with brand teams, with marketing communication teams. I'd love to hear what that looked like at Quizlet. Yeah, this is a great question. I think it can take so many different forms and it really depends what your org structure looks like and yeah, who's empowered to take and run with that project, which is obviously a huge one to work with an agency and kind of do a full rebrand. I think that product marketing should be a key stakeholder throughout that process and giving feedback on all the stages of the early kind of brand OS thought. And then as you get further towards executions, being able to give that honest feedback of whether the product's being represented enough because depending on, you know, I think in tech, you tend to need to represent the product somehow. And sometimes agencies, they get really into like a lifestyle view of things and representing the brand in the more fun, flashy ways, which if you had an endless budget, sounds really fun and looks really cool, but you want to make sure that the message is really getting through. And, you know, example might be that with our agency, we saw some creative that was really focused on students eating pizza, kind of like the student lifestyle, right? And it's like, yeah. okay, but like, this isn't quite getting through what we are. So yeah. Are they studying and eating pizza at the same time? In some cases they were, <laughs> and in other cases they weren't. In some cases it was just pizza and it kind of looked like a DoorDash ad. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
I think it's important to ladder up as a product marketer, the products that we're business drivers of as the RTBs, the reasons to believe in this brand ethos, in this promise, and really driving that mission through the products that we launch. So I can imagine that particular image was not necessarily aligned. That's too funny. Okay. So you've launched explanations. You've done this big splash. It's the Super Bowl of EdTech timing with back to school then what, right? Like you don't just set it and forget it. So what was the tracking and process that happened after initial launch day? For sure. Well, we definitely had follow-up research to talk to students and, you know, be understanding what the experience was and where it was living up to expectations and what more we could adjust to make the experience stronger. But we also, of course, had lots of goals around subscriptions that we wanted to drive the explanations. And one of the things we knew a bit about, but we learned even more about through the course of that fall semester last year is that explanations are fairly seasonal and more seasonal in some ways than our other study products. And so we definitely learned a bit about that and and sort of saw where the drop-off points might be in a semester where maybe there's less homework being assigned and people turn towards other forms of preparing for tests or writing papers. And so as a result of some of that, we realized we really needed to launch monthly plans, which is something we had considered in the past, but it gave us a stronger rationale to do so, which we're in the process of doing now. And it helps enable the Explanations product to be a bit more accessible, especially later in the school year when the students might feel like a year-long subscription is kind of more than they're willing to pay for. Interesting. So this planning is this, I'm assuming the seasonality is like, okay, you have midterms, you have finals, and then you you have your holiday break. And so is it planning kind of like your study plan accordingly? In part, I mean, I think a lot of it just has to do with what students are being asked to do by their professors, right? Like what's the syllabus and different types of classes have different patterns of tests, quizzes, papers, group assignments, and things like that. And so it's not really entirely easy to predict. And also since we're an international business, this has this seasonality in its own way in every other market. And so it's sometimes hard to fully follow, but yes, like you said, I mean, Christmas you'll see a big drop over the summer. You know, we have a little bit of a roller coaster dip and then it goes straight up towards the highest points in the back to school time again. So at the macro level, you know, you can see that, but I think at the micro level, this idea of like who has homework assignments that are sort of these more procedural questions and when it's a little bit murkier, but we are starting to sort of see a little bit more of what that looks like in the data. And it just helps us understand how to make the product as accessible as possible, given that the timing needs might be shorter as students are further into a semester or a school year. And with all these customer insights from product launches, how do product marketers at Quizlet actually provide actionable and useful takeaways for product teams to then go and develop on that product roadmap? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's synthesizing research can be a tough form of work, but it's so important. And I think when it's done with the full focus and sort of extent of one's attention, it can really bear great results. And so I feel like you have to explore many different angles. You have to know your stakeholders really well in terms of what questions they're going to ask and have to be able to anticipate, you know, what are the things people may want to use this research for, and then be able to kind of work backwards from there to make sure your takeaways are positioned in a way that are snackable 
Right. And I think that's hard. Like that's quite hard work. And sometimes I find it even takes like a second iteration for me of being able to get to that level. But I think also just understanding the timing of when roadmap prioritization is happening, or if a certain team is having a conversation about which direction to go, just having sort of your ear to the ground and being more aware of when is this going to be thoughtfully received and not to say you shouldn't share it if people aren't working on it right at the moment. But I think that sense of timing is really important because otherwise you can risk having great research, but everybody's already locked in on something and it's sort of too little too late or, oh, maybe later. And so I think it's a challenge to kind of stay up to date on that, but it can make a really big difference on how things land. And in landing the launch of explanations, kind of looking back, were there any learn biggest kind of key learnings or most successful moments that stick out in your mind when it came to this launch? Yeah, I think, like I said, the work with the brand agency was really great to be able to kind of bring to life what that product looked like and felt like and to be able to nail the messaging and show how that can come through in a more fun and playful way. It was was really nice to be able to kind of tag team on some of that and be able to play off of that new brand that we were building and launching. So I think that's like the biggest general one, but I think it also was just great to see that students were coming back to Quizlet after having not used Quizlet maybe for a few years because maybe they had aged out of some of the use cases that the traditional Quizlet kind of provided. And now they were able to come back for their advanced calculus classes and things like that. So I mean, I think it's the whole mix. Uh, there were definitely a lot of bright moments. And I think there were there were things that we could have improved upon for sure. And it's never done. So we're still working on it's never done. Yeah, it's never done. That's just the PMM mantra. But I should find a more positive formulation. But you know, it's true. It's never done. <laughs> well, I think it's simply because you can't products are always growing and changing and becoming. And if not, then they become stale and you'll have to sunset them, do a postmortem on that sunset and then figure out a new product to launch. So in that way, you do have to continually invest in the products and the consumers that they serve. It's interesting to hear that you said that explanations kind of like reinvigorated and brought back some customers that you might have lost previously because they had aged out of previous products. What are kind of like the different types of customers that you see within Quizlet in general? Yeah. So, I mean, we have students in middle school, for example, and their teachers, and usually that's how they're coming through because it live is kind of a fun classroom game and will be played, especially in kind of early Spanish classes, French classes, language classes, um, and things like that. And then we have a good number of high school students as well, and generally many of their teachers. And then our, our core segment is the college segment, university segment uh, internationally. And then we have a lot of older learners, continuing learners as well, though they're not necessarily our primary focus. We definitely index more towards that prepare for a test use case. And now with explanations, that homework help question. And kind of in thinking about the future of the ed tech market, and especially this audience that is coming in to really prep, how do you see the rise in wearable technologies driving growth in these types of education apps? Yeah, that's an interesting question. 
I don't know if I've thought about wearable technology specifically with regard to education apps. Most education technology companies are working on some form of motivation and nudges. And I think that's something that's quite common in wearable technology, especially in the healthcare space. And so I think when it comes to the ideas of time management and some of those things, I think that may be interesting to students, but I'm not totally convinced that that alone is going to be something students want to hook up to Quizlet. We see that there's a good amount of native studying that happens on the apps, and that's likely because people are on the go and things like that. But people do like to study at a desk with a computer, their notebook beside them. And so as much as education does move quickly, there's certain core things that aren't likely to change massively when it comes to that portability, I guess. And so I think that probably more voice activated studying and things like that will be possible, but I'm not totally sure if it's going to be core because I think that so much of studying is visual and is processing and that interactivity piece, which can be a little bit harder in that small wearable sense. That's super interesting. And so what are you most excited for? You know, you've been in the space for seven years. What are you most excited for, for the future? Well, I'm definitely excited that EdTech is helping provide more personalization in learning. Teachers know that this is proven to help outcomes. And so the more we can help support teachers and have teachers be the people who are connecting with students in a social and emotional way, who are helping drive the curriculum, but tools like Quizlet can help provide that personalized continued practice. I think that can be a really beautiful pairing. And I think there's going to be more centralization, which is happening already when it comes to just different types of study tools all under you know one particular company. And then as such, more flexibility between those tools, being able to take something, being able to go from an explanation and then study the concepts in that question in a different setting or in a different context. And I think also what I mentioned about that offline studying, I think that flexibility between offline, like taking your notes and your highlighted index cards to your point, and how do you make that more seamlessly converted from a offline analog format to a digital format so that it can be manipulated in more exciting and time-saving ways. It's so interesting because while this is for students, I imagine that this can even span across multiple different use cases. You know, obviously in our own day-to-day, I find that we're learning more, we're experiencing more digitally on our phones and learning has just totally changed. It's no longer writing things down on flashcards and writing things over and over again to memorize or looking up, bringing around a huge textbook to kind of digest the explanations. So I think that there's so much that is going to happen in this industry and really looking forward to seeing it grow and mature. Yeah, me too. Awesome. So we have a couple of rapid fire questions, particularly in the product marketing space. So in the realm of product marketing, what are you most curious about right now? I think because my team is working on so much insights generation right now, I think that one of the things I'm curious about is how to best synthesize insights across many studies in a simple way, right? Some sort of customer map almost, but something that lets people kind of dive deep into the details or see the key takeaways. Definitely kind of curious about what the best ways to do that are to keep it actionable and easy to grok at at a single glance. What is one thing you wish you knew when starting out your career in product marketing? I wish I knew that influence just takes time and experience to build. I think you know you can feel sometimes earlier in your career, like you're not sure if you're able to get there and you need to trust that if you're doing quality work and sharing it out often, you'll get there. 
And what is one or two tips that you give to your product marketing team as they are kind of growing their own careers in the space? Yeah. I mean, I think prioritization is a sort of a boring one, but extremely important one. And being able to say no to requests, I think is something that every product marketer needs to get good at doing because it's impossible to say yes to all the different things that come in across the organization. And another one I think is just being able to be possibility oriented and bring in other ideas from competitors and just add things to the conversation when it comes to just pulling up those insights that you've uncovered in the past and continuing to keep the stakeholders you work with really keeping the user at the center. Right. I always like to say it's banging our hands on the table and being an advocate for the customer mm-hmm. in every room that you walk into. Awesome. Well, this has been such an awesome conversation. I'm super pumped to have you on the show and, and really appreciate it. And I know that the product marketing team is growing at Quizlet. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. So we have two roles open. One is for a senior product marketing manager that will focus on international. That role is based in London. And then we have another role that is a product marketing manager role that could be based anywhere in the US. And that will be focused on explanations, which is what we've been talking about. So if this podcast interests you and you're super excited about the product and the role and working with Caroline, feel free to reach out to her. Caroline, is LinkedIn the best place to connect with you at? Yeah, that's great. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to Behind the Scenes Consumer Product Marketing, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks, Meredith.